Good evening. Do please keep your Bible open uh, to that page. Uh, and as we begin, why don't I pray one more time? Father, your word goes out from your mouth, and it will not return to you empty. We pray that you would accomplish your purposes in us tonight, Lord. You have promised that we will go out in joy. You have promised that we will be led in peace. Father, we call on these promises tonight and pray that you will be at work in us now, cleaning us through your word. Amen. So I don't know many of you, and I certainly don't know uh, how you feel about vineyards. If you like vineyards, or if you've ever been to a vineyard, uh, I myself have inherited a deep love of vineyards from my father. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to go to Napa Valley, which is in California, a few non-Americans, uh, a few times. Now, of course, you go to vineyards to taste the wine and to spit it out, depending on how many vineyards you're going to that day. But the best visits to vineyards aren't about wine. They're about the people that you meet there. They're about the people that work there. And this is a vineyard uh, that I visited in Napa Valley. Uh, and we were lucky enough here to actually meet the chief winemaker and to go out and walk among his grounds with him, walk among his vines. And I remember when we were standing here, actually, because he, he pointed up, you can sort of see in the back, there's, there's a hill there where the, where the vineyard goes up, and he pointed to the back there and he said, those are where our, our best vines are. Those are where the 56-year-old Zinfandel vines are. Amazing. He, knew exactly right. he took us around, and he showed us that he had a, a small device with a, with a needle on it that they would push into the grapes, and it would tell them the sugar content of the grape. Now, this picture was taken far before the harvest, but as, as the harvest comes, they go out every single day and put this needle into grapes and various vines to check the sugar content. It's very important that the, that the grapes come off at just the right time so that they'll have the right amount of sugar and yield the right amount of alcohol. Jesus says, God is growing a vineyard. That's what God is doing in the world. That's what he says here. God is growing a vineyard. And he wants it to spread and to be fruitful. <laughs> now look, this image of a vine, this image of a vineyard, it's not new. It's not something that Jesus has just come up with. This is something that happens again and again in the Old Testament. So one, one passage is this. Uh, this is Isaiah 5. I don't know if you'll be able to read it, um, but I'll, I'll read it out. Uh, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleaned it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it only yielded bad fruit. And this image is going to be made uh, a lot more explicit just a few verses later. This is, this is 5 verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The Lord planted a vine in the Old Testament. That's his people, Israel. But in the Old Testament, each time we see this image, it's accompanied by the fact that the vine wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. It wasn't producing the fruit it had been planted to produce. Now, uh, this image of fruit is quite important to this passage. The word's going to happen a number of times. You can see it there. 
he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, and so on and so forth. In fact, I take it that this is the entire point of the passage. When you look at verse 16, you just glance ahead there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So, so what does Jesus mean here when he says fruit? I mean, what, are, what are we supposed to take from that symbol? Well, I think that there's a good clue here in Isaiah 5, actually, because the Lord was looking for good grapes. Well, what was he looking for? It just says here, doesn't it? He was looking for justice, but saw bloodshed. He was looking for righteousness. So I take it, justice and righteousness are fruit. Now here in this passage, just before this in chapter 14, Jesus has told the disciples, promised the disciples, that when he goes, he will send them his spirit, that they will have his spirit. So I also take it that the fruit of the spirit is in, is it should be in our mind here. And in Galatians 5, very famously, Paul gives us a list of fruit of the spirit. So here are some of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's a wonderful list. And that, I mean, it's not meant to be exhaustive. This is some of the fruits of the Spirit. It's wonderful. So we can have that in our minds as we go and dive into this passage now. So let's go back and think about that vine. This is the fruit that God planted the vine to get. This is what Israel is supposed to be producing. But it's not. And it's in that context that Jesus says, verse 1, I am the true vine. What does that mean? Well, the true vine will bear fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine that will bear fruit. Where Israel has failed, I will succeed. Jesus doesn't make this claim on his own. It's not in the vacuum. It's not a vine off, off on a mission to create fruit with no, with no gardener. Look there in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. Think back to that, to that image that I gave you at the beginning of the gardener who walks around his vines, checking the sugar content of each and every vine. They're out there day after day, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., tending the vine, moving things out of the way. You know, he, he pointed us to some vines and said, yeah, they haven't had enough sun, so we've had to come and we've had to trim their branches back so that they get more sun because we need, them, we need that fruit to develop just a little bit faster over the coming months. It's, it's a relationship. Do you see that? It's a relationship of intimacy and knowledge of each other. And this is exactly what the Father does, doesn't he? In verse 2, he tends the vine and cares for it. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. <coughs> a common question at this verse is, does this mean that Christians can be cut off from Christ. Does verse 2 mean that Christians can be cut off from Christ? And the answer is no. Okay? This verse does not mean that. Firstly, we don't interpret Scripture in a, in a vacuum. We don't interpret one, one verse of one passage on its own. The book, the Bible, is a single book. And there are a number of passages throughout the Bible that plainly teach that Christians aren't ever cut off from in fact, the same author of this book, John, wrote a letter. It's, uh, he wrote a number of letters, but in his first letter, he wrote this. 
They went out from us. He's talking about people who've fallen away from the faith. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Or if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Do you see that? So if this verse doesn't mean that Christians can be cut off, what does it mean? Well, I take it here that when Jesus talks about the vineyard, he's talking about the visible church. And so while this passage doesn't mean that Christians will be cut off from Jesus, what it does mean is that, for example, coming to Christ Church Earlsfield on a Sunday and calling yourself a Christian, while well, well, good things are not actually what Jesus sees as the signs of the Christian life. Look down at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Do you see that? If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Jesus is saying, there's no such thing as the fruitless Christian. That isn't even an option. That's not even in the picture here. So verse 2 can't be about Christians because the Father is cutting off branches that bear no fruit. The Father isn't clearing away struggling Christians. He's clearing away dead branches. So, the true vine will bear fruit, and true Christians will bear fruit. You see that parallel there? Now, Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And if it seems a bit odd that he's suddenly talking to the disciples about being clean, well, it's the same word in the Greek. The word clean and the word prunes, they have the same, they have the same root. And so Jesus is drawing another parallel here. Jesus is the true vine, which God prunes. The disciples are the true branches, pruned by Jesus' word. Over the past year or two, well, slightly longer than this, uh, there's been a movement uh, among some Christians, actually, to say Jesus is the real heart of Christianity. Actually, what Jesus said is the real heart. Jesus spoke about forgiveness, kindness, and mercy. And Jesus would say, everyone's a part of the body. Everyone's a part of the vineyard. You know, some people are Zinfandel, some people are Pinot Noir, some people are Cabernet, but everyone's part of the vine. And Paul, well, Paul's the problem, isn't he? I mean, he came along and he twisted it. He just turned it into, you know, you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. I mean, can we see Jesus' words here? Look at, look at verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. If that's not strong enough, we'll look ahead to verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The fire, that's another consistent biblical image for judgment. And so if, if our heartstrings are pulled by this image of a Christianity that was ruined by Paul, we have to accept that these words here belong to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to us over and over here, remain. Remain, right? Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. And so two questions come up. Why? Why remain in Jesus? And how? Well, the first question we've already started to answer. Why remain in Jesus? Well, firstly, because it's impossible to bear fruit alone. I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
And secondly, there again, in verse 6, because those who don't remain are thrown into the fire and judged. But do you see that Jesus pushes past that now in verse 7? If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. An incredible promise, isn't it? I mean, it's an incredible promise. It's, it's almost so strong a promise that I think we naturally kind of recoil and ask, Anything? Anything I want? Well, okay. Let's, let's, let's say that it is conditional here. So this is not, what would you like? What, you know, what's on the wish list today? A couple of cars? New house? Carrot cake for dessert? Anybody? No. Jesus didn't have his own life in view when he prayed. And do you see here that he says, if my words remain in you, ask whatever you Jesus didn't have his own life in view when he prayed. He had his Father's glory. And look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory. That's what's in view here. That's what these prayers are for. And of course, we have to say with that that it's not automatic. Remaining in Jesus is to know him closely. To be able to pray with the words of Jesus, we have to know the words of Jesus. It's not something that just happens to us automatically. So that's why. Why remain? Well, because it will produce fruit that glorifies the Father and brings an incredible blessing on us. I mean, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you to pray prayers that are answered in that way. To bear fruit as true branches of the true vine. That's what we were made for. That's what Jesus says we were made for. So, that's why, but how? I mean, what what if we don't see it in our own lives? I mean, sometimes you can look at these words. Uh, do we have that slide at the uh, next one? The next one? Next one? There we go. There they are again. Okay. Sorry, Joel, that's probably my fault. Uh, <laughs> if we look at these words, and we just think, Gosh, it's just depressing. I don't, I don't really have anything. What do I do? Well, Jesus is insistent, isn't he? Remain, and I will remain in you. It must remain in the vine. You remain in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, keep saying remain. And this doesn't mean don't do anything practical. If you are struggling with a particular sin, the Bible would say, do everything that you can to remove that sin from your life. Everything practical that you can. But do you say, see that Jesus is saying to you, if you try and do all of that apart from me, whatever you try and do, it's not going to work. You can't do anything apart from Jesus, no matter what you try. A branch removed from the vine might have a few green leaves on it. But what's time going to do to that branch? Well, the leaves are going to wither. The branch is going to die. These verses teach that it doesn't matter what you try to do, you can try to do it apart from Jesus. So remain. Now these verses also help us in that they teach us what to expect, right? The Father's job is pruning the branches. Now pruning is not a one-time event. If you've been to a vineyard, like I said, they go out day after day after day to do this. It doesn't happen once. And actually, a very, I mean, now you really understand that I love vineyards. 
Uh, an interesting thing is that they don't just prune dead wood. So they do remove dead wood, of course, because it has disease and insects. But actually, living wood is removed from the vine to shape the vine, to enhance the vine. And in fact, especially when a vine is young, the first fruit is taken off the vine. So it will produce more fruit that is better. So do you see how that image works? The Bible says, expect to be pruned. And now the Bible mentions really two main ways, I think, two main ways that we are pruned. In verse 3, we've already had one of them, and that's the word. Verse 3, you are already clean, you are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. So we should expect the word of God to shape us, to change us, to challenge us. And the Bible speaks of a second way that we're pruned, and that's, that's discipline. So Hebrews 12 puts it like this. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, and endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. So the true Christian life is marked by fruit and pruning. It's not steady as she goes, one time and done, thank you. It's a daily battle to produce better fruit. And Jesus' prescription for us to do this is to remain in him. Now, you might keep pushing me on that. You might say, okay, remain. Well, how, how do I remain in Jesus? What does that mean? Do I have to speak in tongues to remain in Jesus? Do I, do I have to know the five points of Calvinism? remain in Jesus? Can I, be a, can I remain in Jesus without you know, knowing the difference between amillennialism and postmillennialism? You can, I don't. <laughs> How do we remain? Well, look at verse 10. Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Do you see that that parallel is still there? That parallel has been running throughout this entire thing. Look back on verse, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus remains in the Father's love by obeying his commands. And Jesus, the true vine, produces branches. We remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. And the true branches produce fruit. It's a beautiful image. And let's be honest, our hearts will follow our actions. The claim, I am a Christian, cannot reconcile with I don't, I don't really care how God tells me how to live. Do you, see, do you see that there? The Christian lovingly longs to obey God. Now, if, if you are here tonight, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you may very well think that all of this is totally nuts. The world is a vineyard. I'm a branch. I'm supposed to produce fruit, and I've got to obey all of these things. Gosh, you guys just twist yourself in knots trying to do this. So I kind of gave it away earlier, but you remember this slide? There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Do you see the reason that Jesus gives us to do all of this? Did you hear it as it was read? It's there in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be that your joy may be complete. Joy. 
Look, in verse 12, Jesus explains that his command, the command we're to obey, is to love the way he is loved. How did Jesus love? Proactively. Undeservedly. Continually. Unto death. As Jesus says this to his disciples, he's heading to the cross. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And now look again at that fruit. Just imagine for a moment if our lives were truly grabbed by the fact that Jesus loved us like this. What would our lives look like if that took hold of us and shaped us in every way? A life filled with these things in abundance. Relationships built on kindness and gentleness. Self-control. I've been married for about nine months now. I can tell you that my wife wants me to grow in all of these things. <laughs> and that's why Jesus says, this is for your joy. Wouldn't a life overflowing with this be filled with joy? Psalm 1 describes the faithful life like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prosper. So if you're not a Christian here tonight, can I just say, that's what's on offer. That's the promise. Now, the promise isn't immediate. There's pruning to be done. There's work to be done in the vineyard, continually, for each of us. But that's what Jesus